Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. He was born in Perth in 1949. At about the age of six, he had a vision and he saw an angel. Uh, Well, it wasn't really a vision. He actually saw an angel, an angel that didn't say anything to him, but was shining brightly in the corner there. Uh, In his teenage years, he wanted to run away from the Christian faith, and he did. Went to a Fremantle TAFE, went back to Leaderville TAFE, And then in 1970, he joined the Western Australian Police Force, became a policeman for 18 years. After that, he became an investigator for another 15 years, then an advocate for the WA Office of the Public Advocate in Perth for 14 years. At the age of 67, he didn't retire. He went into full-time ministry. Ladies and gentlemen, it's an honor for me to have a Kingdom Stories from Down Under Malcolm Innes. Pastor Malcolm Innes, welcome. He's also on our board at the ACA and a good friend. Just wonderful, wonderful man of God. Malcolm, you have a long bio, biography, and I didn't want to read the whole lot out because then we wouldn't have too much to talk about. So we want to hear it firsthand from you. I'm actually interviewing. I'm not so sure if you're the first Perth person that I'm interviewing. I mean, the Kingdom Stories from down under, but most of the people that come at Kingdom Stories, they live in Perth, but they were not born in Perth. You're a true blue yep. Perthonian. Yeah. I, once I had been overseas to Rottnest Island. You have. <laughs> yeah, Our like, playground. Yeah, I'm a local yokel. Yeah. yeah, wonderful, wonderful. But you did then end up in Kalgoorlie for a little while. Yes, in Kalgoorlie with the sharing teams plus the police force. Okay. Yeah. So born of uh, Aussie parents from England? Uh, no, they're actually uh, third generation, uh, second or third generation Australian. Okay. Both my parents were from Perth. Uh, they were married <coughs> and I was born at a very early age, as they say, and uh, they stayed together until they both passed. I, I sort of had uh, a very good home life yeah looked after no abuse or anything so uh yeah i I was blessed my mother was a committed christian and Mm -hmm. she just prayed us through how many brothers siblings um i've got well there was five of us boys and one sister so six of you yeah that's well i didn't know this about you so you grew up in a large family yeah and uh my um oldest brother's still alive yes I'm the next eldest. My other brother, Graham, he was a full-on evangelist. He's gone, went home to be with the Lord. Mm. And um, then my sister, I think mum and dad tried to get another daughter, but they gave up with her efforts. And my youngest brother, he was uh, uh, in a rock band and uh, used to do all those things. And he had a congenital heart thing and he died a lot younger than I. So, yeah. Good, secure, home life, well fed, everything, yeah. right? So I can't blame. No, and <laughs> you wouldn't do that anyway. So in your, uh, when you were six, you had a vision of an angel or it, it was real for you? For me, I, I awoke 
and there was this bright shining figure at the yes. end of my bed and, and I've been thinking about it and I thought well God had his hand on me from back then yes and so uh, to me I often think of that and the reassurance is that God's always been there for me yeah even though when we walked away from the Lord my brother and I if we went to a funeral or a wedding we jokingly walked around the outside of the church yes and said we just got to make sure the foundations don't collapse you know it was yeah typical uh, Aussie humor but uh, yeah so but anyhow so you, that was so vivid that it remained with you yes it always has done yeah okay. it's and then uh, something happened in your teenage years that you wanted to find your own ways yeah, well, I, I sort of going away in the shearing teams, uh, you learn how to smoke and drink and uh, uh, speak a lot like that comedian Billy <laughs> Connolly. He uses a different type of language than I was using that. It's another way of English. Yeah, that's right. But uh, as I'm not from Glasgow, I, sh I don't use that sort of language anymore. No. But I think it, what it was, it was um, seeking my own destiny. Um, there's always... Um, ego and ambition in there, going away into the shearing teams, uh, becoming a wool classer and you have a lot of responsibility and at 18 I think I had about 18 men working for me and I was the youngest wool classer overseer in Australia. People say that's fantastic. It's a defining time in my life. The stress actually seriously impacted my health. Yeah. Um, and that was... I was out there on my own and people just expected you to do it because we never showed our emotions in those days, you didn't. Yeah. But then it impacted that throughout the uh, rest of my life, I didn't ever want to be number one again. I'd always be 2IC. Yeah. And so the forte that I've developed um, in the secular as well as the Christian is to um, work behind the scenes Yes. and to do that admin and other stuff because I believe that David had three captains around him yeah and those three captains fought so hard for David that their swords were frozen to their wrists yeah. and I, I believe it's critical that any leader whether it be in private enterprise or government or yeah. even running churches you need strong men and women of God that will be there to not dominate you, mm. but to fight for you and stand up for you yeah. when people start making allegations. Mm. And so there have been several times where God has had me walk alongside men and women of God who have been wrongly vilified. Yeah. And if I hear a rumour later on, well, I'll go and knock it on the head. Yeah. Because whether we like it or not, Christians love to gossip. <laughs> we don't mind if it's gossiping the gospel, but... I think it's human nature that if we can tear somebody else down, it makes us feel better. Yeah. So segueing back to uh, your teenage years, so obviously you were working as a shearer. Uh, uh, wool class, I yeah. And that was in Calgary. You went, you had to go there, or you were working both in Perth and Cal? Uh, around the great southern region, up in okay. Laverton, um, Leonora, Menzies. And then you decided to finish your school, year 12. Yeah, I, I went back to uh, Leaderville TAFE and did my, what they call then, it was the leaving. Which was year 12, really. Yeah, year 12. 
and then you carried on to join the police force or when was that yeah well uh, i went back into the shearing teams ran them and at about 19 20 years of age yes i had this brainwave uh, that i would see if i'd get a job in the police force yeah and i went out there and before i knew it they were so desperate for recruits yes i was in and next minute i was uh, mr plot wonderful and uh, but the hand of god was on that mm. um because I wanted to be a, a veterinary surgeon. Oh. But I found out later on that I'm allergic to horses, cats, dogs, and all that. And God's got a sense of humor. He's then in the police force had me different uh, deal with a different type of animal. Yeah. And it's the most dangerous animal anybody can deal with. Um, <laughs> it's a human being. Yes. And I'm still not shocked at, at what people can do, the evil that people can actually do. Yeah. So, yes. Um, and it was, I was there for a while and uh, it was good, uh, plenty of uh, excitement, doing yeah. things like that. New home. East Perth lockup. Oh yeah, yeah. Later on in life I had to deal with a few people who were demon possessed, but that was after we came to Christ. And so, beautiful new home, lovely wife, Jill. When, how did you meet your wife? Um, I was doing a wool classing course with her brother. Okay. And so... That's uh, at the TAFE or... At Fremantle TAFE. Okay. Yeah, Fremantle TAFE uh, used to be... It used to be the old Fremantle Asylum. Yes. So I thought that was an appropriate place for me. That's <laughs> a lot of training. And I, I met a brother there and went up the farm and... She was a farm girl. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, Where? It, uh, in Westdale, Beverly, on the father's farm. Okay. L always marry a farm girl because I buy, buy her drills for a birthday and all that. She does, puts the shelving up and the painting. Yeah. And I'm her tradie. <laughs> you could. <laughs> so, yeah, very, very uh, blessed in that way. Yeah. And uh, so... So you met Jill on the farm. And we got married. How did you have your way with her in a sense? Well... I, I just think that we, it was a divine intervention. We, you know, we know that we're like turtle doves. Yeah. You're married for life. Yeah. And she's a wonderful saint of God um, because uh, she's been a very forgiving wife. Yes. <laughs> uh, but she, in her own right, is a very powerful, strong Christian. And I, I believe that it's her prayers and stability in our marriage and our family that is enabled us as a family to endure as a Christian family. What uh, attracted you to her at the time? Well, I don't know whether I fell in lust or in love, but, it, you know, it was just something. Uh, it was our, my first girlfriend. Yeah. And uh, we just seemed to be destined you know, for, for one another. So did you stay on the farm? Did you stay in that region? How did you date her? Well, she'd moved down to Perth with her father because he wanted to, to meet some decent people in Perth yeah. and she had to go to teachers training college okay. so yeah it was good that way it's the old love story you know uh, where we had romance of course I used to write her poetry and I I used to sing her songs like Ahab the Arab <laughs> not very romantic but it was part of that courting thing yeah. and um, how did you propose to her well it was on Valentine's Day in the mall I asked her to marry me and she gladly accepted and from then on we sort of uh, arranged the wedding we were going to get married in Vic Park but 
she was transferred as a school teacher to Kalgoorlie and uh, I spoke to the chap in Central Police Station and said, oh Sarge, I've really got to go up to Kalgoorlie, you know, I want to be with my, uh, my fiance. That's your wife. And he said, right, when do you want to go? And I said, is it that easy? Susie Kent. I didn't know that they couldn't, that they actually... No one wanted to go. Nobody wanted to go. So we went up there and uh, that was an interesting time. Uh, that was where um, we lost our child full term. Uh, oh, stillborn. And stillborn. And that was a, a defining moment in my life because um, it was a shock because... Uh, yeah, yeah, it was just hard. Yeah. And we didn't have Christ then. Yeah. So the Christians stayed mute. Yeah. And my mates just took me on a bender. You know, we there was, yeah. there's 16 hotels down the main street. Yeah. You could never, ever go one drink at it. And that was what they did. And later on, I, I met Christians and they said to me, oh, Mel, you know, we didn't say anything to you because you would have punched our lights out. <laughs> and, and I said, so... <laughs> I said I was in desperate need. Yeah. And I needed somebody to return me back to my Christian faith. Yes. And so we came back to Perth, built a new house, and we had Matthew. And one of the things in those days, before your time, I suppose, that they used to say to the kids in the, in, in the playground, yes. who's Jewish? Yes. Who's Roman Catholic? Who's Anglican? And the others. So we didn't want our son to be another. Yes. So this house church, Anglican house church was set up in Leeming. And we thought, okay, we'll go and get our son, you know, done and confirmed so that he can be registered as an Anglican. Yeah. But the trouble was, these people were different. Hmm. It got that bad within six weeks, Jill and I knew we had to make a decision. Yeah. We either go all the way with them yeah. or flee. Mm -hmm. And praise God, uh, you know, we went that way with them. But that, they, were, they, were, they were switched on Christians, you know. The, the Anglicans, they had a house church. They were baptized in the eyes and the Holy Ghost. Oh. And they were so on fire for Christ. Yeah. I've, I miss that type of Christianity in some of the churches that I now go to, but... That's how God had his hand on us. Yes. Jill's background was, um, her grandfather was a Soviet communist, so she didn't have that background. Her, her own father was a Methodist. Mm -hmm. But there was not that religious background. And I found that she progressed uh, a lot quicker in many ways within the Christian faith. Yes. She didn't have all the religious baggage to get yes. rid of. Yes. And so... Uh, you know, we, we went to the fellowship. Um, we really loved the Lord. We were on fire for the Lord. Mm. We, you couldn't talk about it. Uh, people interacted like family, like the Acts of the Apostles. And, you know, it was the love. And your kids fit us straight in. Well, we only had Matthew, you know, okay. so he fitted straight in as well. A and somebody was talking, I think, uh, the lady you were interviewing, the chaplain about children and that sort of thing. Yeah. I know in Bull Creek, after we became Christians, there was an American family down the road. Mm. And Jill and I sort of said, well, we've got to lead these people to the Lord. So yeah. we, we took them inside and yes. Matthew was outside. And we had a real problem. The parents weren't interested, but Matthew led the five kids to the Lord outside <laughs> at 10 years of age. 
And so God taught me a lesson. He said, Mel, don't ever limit what I can do. Yes. And reminded me that Samuel was only nine years of age when yep. he rebuked the prophet of, of Israel. So it was a lot of getting rid of um, uh, religious concepts and ideas and say, well, who are we going to follow? Yeah. We had to die to self. Yes. That was the thing. Um, humble yourself, die to self. Yeah. Uh, you know, and lift Jesus higher and he'll draw under me. And there were, it was a, a fantastic experience. Yes. And I say to people often, I say, can anything good come out of the Anglican Church? And they say, oh, yeah, Jill, but not, we're not sure about you. Yes. But here, here were these people. It was the love. They just gave their lives. They poured. We poured our lives into one another. Yeah. But then the religious leaders see that they couldn't control that. Yes. And, the, and set about dismantling. Oh. Uh, but, you know, but I praise God. Um, it was actually... Uh, a chap called Canon John Abraham, who I think still in his 80s does teaching in the Anglican Church down in Albany. He was a unique man. He uh, <clears throat> brought us up on John Wesley yes. and Francis of Assisi's teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was a dramatic uh, situation. I had a problem with this holy baptism and speaking yeah. in yeah. unknown tongues. You know, Jill was good. She just got behind side of bed, prayed, and it Bang. happened. But I thought, nah, nah, this is a bit too spooky for me. So anyhow, we went away in a church camp, and there is people all praying, and I'm laying, and it hit me. Bang! I started speaking in tongues. Yes. It's my pride that prevents me. Yeah. I don't want to be, you know, I'm, I'm a detective, I'm a policeman, I can't yeah. be talking all this gibberish. <laughs> and somebody said, well, you did that when you were drunk, but... <laughs> It's, it's that fear of uh, Losing being rejected. And, right. and the problem was that I was a man pleaser. Yes. And so God over the years has had to deal with that man pleasing. And we went from there into uh, Pentecostal churches and charismatic churches. And um, I, my, my thrust was really to preach Christ and him crucified and the resurrection yep. power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But God had a sense of humour. He then took me into a prophetic role. And, yeah. And I, I, the reading was Jeremiah 1 verses 4 to about 10 or something it was. And I didn't want it because I knew once you go to a church, and I didn't say thus saith the Lord. Yeah. I'd have a word of uh, knowledge or prophecy. And, and you're not popular. Yeah. Because here he comes again, troublemaker. Mm. And God used that time to get rid of the fear of man. Yeah. Because you can't be a man pleaser and serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yes. And you can't be a man pleaser if you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to really be manifest in your life. Yeah. So, you know, we learnt a lot. We yes. saw the signs and wonders. Um Wherever I go, I expect the acts of the apostles to occur. Yeah. Um, it's the same time period. We're in the yeah. New Testament. And, and people say, oh, you've got to go overseas to see miracles. No, nah, you don't. They're here. Yeah. I saw them in the police force, you know. I mean, even though I was in that hard role as a policeman, I was trained yes. up, I believe you've got to have a sense of humour. 
To mm. be a Christian, you need a sense of humour. Yes. Because people would say to me, oh, this serious God, he hasn't got a sense of humour. I said, oh, oh, I'm living proof that God has a sense of humour yes. that saved a wretch like me. Yeah. Um, it's just part of that old... My dad was a bit of a larrikin. Yeah. He trained us to be larrikins, and I've just tried to train my kids to be larrikins as How well. How was it in the police force as a Christian? Um... Well, when they found out that I was a born-again Christian, yeah. I found myself in Coventry. Mm-hmm. I was just isolated. Okay. Because they were fearful that I'd drop them in for doing something. Oh, that you'd drop them in? Yeah, they were just fearful. They didn't know about this Christianity sort of stuff. Yes. And so all I had to do was let my light shine. Mm. And so there were... Funny times. The blokes might ridicule you, but being a detective, you're in all sorts of nightclubs, strippers. And one night I was in Fremantle with a a young detective, and I'm saying, Lord, two o'clock in the morning, what am I doing here? Yeah. It's a bit like that song, please, Mr. Custer, I don't want to go. Yeah. And this young bloke came up, pulled me aside, and he said, oh, Sarge, he said, I want to ask you something. My girlfriend's told me she's pregnant and is going to have an abortion. And I said, ah, the Holy Spirit said to me, she's not pregnant, she wants you to marry him. And I said, mate, she's not pregnant, she wants you to marry him. Whoa. So anyway, I went home, and then I married, and they got married. And that was when I thought, in the darkest of darkest yeah. places, yeah. is where God goes. You had the leading. Yeah, but I suppose, I used to say people, I was a trained killer. We, uh, we did anti-terrorism training with assassins, that sort of stuff, and, and one of my mates, he's, he hadn't done all that, and he was a bit upset that we were bragging about how we were trying to kill us. He said, well, I'll tell you a story, Mel. And he said, oh, yeah, what about you? He was a Jew. Yeah. And he said, well, this bloke the other day, big bloke, he said, he was going to really beat me up. Yeah. And so I didn't know what to say. He said to this big, powerful bloke, look, I've got to warn you by law as a police officer that I know origami. Yeah. And this bloke didn't know what origami was. He thought it was martial arts, so he said, yeah. It was that sense of humour that got you through the death and destruction. Yeah. I still get flashbacks. Of course you would. And and that's what they call a whole raft of things. Post-traumatic stress. Uh, What it is, nobody can continually see death and destruction and not be impacted by it. Of course. It It impacts your personality. Because it's quite raw. Yeah. You're at the front of it all. You're, yeah. you're in the trenches. Well, also too... So you had 18 years as a policeman, yeah. another 15 as a... Uh, as an investor in the Commonwealth Government. Uh, okay. I worked on things like the Rothwell's Task Force, yeah. Bond Task Force, Aboriginal programs yeah. in the fraud related, and that's where a lot of my corporate governance came back yeah. from. And anyhow, I decided, time to retire, so I retired. Retired from that sort the of The Commonwealth, way. yeah, and... It's got nothing to do with the uh, payout they give you or anything like yeah. that. I will pay the house off. But here I am, I'm saying, God, 55 years of age, 54, 50, all this experience. What am I going to do? What a waste of time. So anyway, I applied for a job with the Office of the Public Advocate. Mm-hmm. And when I started there, being a Christian, everything I had learned... Yes. I needed to use dealing with people. 
Mm. And so uh, when my mates jokingly said, oh, they wanted, they were my referees say, they'd say, oh, they rang you, Mel, uh, rang us and said, oh, how do you reckon Mel would go in relation to these people with all these Alzheimer's and dementia and all these problems, acquired brain injury, mental health? They said he'll relate well to the client base. That's yeah. what friends are for. But it was a matter of all that experience. Yes. Even the way the Lord had grown me, it was then to be able to be sensitive in the middle of a hearing, to pray in the spirit under my breath. Yes. To fight what was going on. Yes. And often people would say to me, Mel, can you pray for us? I yes. had to be very careful. Um, even when I was on a helpline, I might say to somebody, God bless, but I'd one of the other staff chatted me, you know, for saying that. But what happened was people would then say to me, are you a Christian, Mel? I'd say, yeah, I am. Yeah. And they say, you know, the family's been praying for a Christian investigator advocate for mum or dad. Whoa. So we have to have faith. Yes. You know, and, and I've got a lot of war stories, but the main thing is the Holy Spirit is not loud. Mm. He's a gentle, gentle person. Soft. And it's the still, quiet voice mm. that I had to learn to live with. Mm. Um, because we were dealing with people that were demonically possessed. Yeah. Um, there was one woman who was riddled with AIDS, prostitute, and my mate from Vice Squad brought her in. He was a Christian. And she started screwing me. Mm. She, and, you know, just... The whole place was his, so had to make a decision to release it back on the streets. Yeah. Because you can't just go up and lay hands on somebody yeah. in there because there's all these empty vessels around. Yeah. And so it was a walk where you have to really press into God. Um, you know, often these things would occur, and I don't want to take up, you know, too much time, but... Somebody bought, one of the, the officers bought a chap in to be charged. And at three o'clock in the morning, I was operating this unit. Yeah. I'm not very spiritual. I'm usually <laughs> tired. And so this chap sitting in a corner over there, and I said to him, bring the chair over here, yeah. meaning you come over here. Yeah. So he stands up, puts the chair there, and goes back and sits there. I said, listen, Borfett, you come over too. So he comes over. <laughs> and then I said, right, we're going to the lock-up. I'll throw you in the, the can. And we're walking across. And as I said, I'm not very spiritual. He said, do you know who I am? I said, no, mate, who are you? He said, I'm the son of God. Oh. And I said, aha, I know who you are and you know who I am. So went into the lock-up, yeah. put him there. Yeah. And then one of the staff said, Sarge, uh, come and talk to your prisoner he was starting to manifest oh and i'm not very gracious so i said to him in the name of jesus christ shut up and sit down and people said you mad yeah this is the sort of christianity that i was experiencing and people said why can't you sit in the church i said because time's running out i'm on borrowed time and we're supposed to be dragging people literally from the, the help fires yeah and so that has always been that dynamic. I didn't know that the Acts of the Apostles and the power of the Holy Ghost, some people, churches tell us, is no longer relevant. 
Yeah. Well, that means I've been living a lie. Mm. And at Jill and I have got to that stage where every night before we go to bed, we say, Lord, thank you for today. Yeah. And we say, Holy Spirit, guide us mm. what we're going to do next day. And every day we have God incidences. Yeah. So after, after Sorry, this I chapter, off line that's fine. After this chapter, obviously you retired, but then you refired yourself into the ministry. So at the age of 67, together with Jill, you committed to full-time kind of ministry. You, when did you establish Dayspring Ministries? Back in uh, September the 11th in about 2004. Okay. The thing is, when I say I retired into ministry, the lesson that a chap that we all know, the Reverend Dr. Bob Chapman. Bob Chapman. <laughs> My spiritual father I knew best mate. Yeah, and he... I was upset one day, you know, I said, oh, I don't want to work amongst all these Philistines and all these people with different religions and that. And I was pretty upset. It was down, I think it might have even been down at uh, Papua New Guinea, yeah. a little town where yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob had did a work with Sam. I've been there. And he said to me, he says, Mel, got a word for you. Turn around and go back in the darkness. And I wasn't very happy. No. He might have been a mate, he might have been a man that the Holy Spirit spoke through, but it didn't suit me. And I said, that's great for a bloke that doesn't even have a job. Yeah. He wasn't working. Yeah. But he was right. I went back in there, and then the Holy Spirit used me more to minister to people. Mm. And full-time ministry is wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if yeah. you're a born-again believer, walking in the power of the help, you are in full-time ministry. That's right. So at 67 years of age, all I did was pulled out of one aspect of life yes. to then be able to uh, work with Jeff, uh, assist in Yalu and yeah. and walk with Bob. Uh, you know, Jeff and I, it must have been 10 years that Jeff and I, we went away in the country with them. Yeah. And we know Bob, he is a, a powerful man of God, so much knowledge. And he would have other Christians or theologians, yes. I don't say, somebody like John Yates or somebody, and they would talk. And here it is, I'm listening to Paul for five hours as we travel to Katani yeah. and all that. Yes. But, you know, Bob was uh, never criticised anybody who was a great mate. Mm. But, you know, everybody said he was very serious. I said, if you'd been with him on some of the trips, you would know that he had a sense of humour. Yeah. They said, what do you mean? I said, coming back from Katani, yeah. here's this tortoise on the road. Yes. Stops. Stopped. Mel, can you get that tortoise off the road? I was that flustered. I put it on the wrong side of the road. The creek was over there. Got back in the car and he said, how are your hands? Mel, I said, nothing wrong with my hands. Took off. And then this stinking smell. Yeah. The very reverend Bob Chapman had set me up. I didn't realise that turtles stink. So yeah. he pulled over, laughed. And it was one of those mate times... <laughs> Which made being a Christian, having Christian mates, yeah. all about it. Uh, and how can you not be excited about being yeah. a Christian? My youngest son, you know, he, he's not following the Lord, but he prays with us and all that mm. sort of stuff. He said to me one day, he said, you know, Dad, if you Christians really believed what you believed, yeah. nobody could shut you up. That's right. And he said... 
if I ever become one of your mob, yeah. I am going to be full on and drive everybody mad. And I thought, you, what are you saying, Lord? Because when you get older, right. you take a softer approach. That's right. But yeah, and so I've been blessed. But Malcolm. Yeah, go on. Uh, how has the departure of Bob Chapman impacted you? I, it's, it's, it comes up at 6th of May, is it the 12 months? Yeah. I, in many ways, it was like um, literally cutting an arm or a leg off. Yeah. I was very angry with him because he didn't have the right to leave us. No. I reckon he was selfish because he always said, I had enough of this world, I want to be, be with the Lord, you know. And then you go through, and then, then I went through a guilt stage and I thought, well, I really wasn't a, as good a mate as I could have been. Mm. He didn't tell us how much pain he was in. He was no, you know, stoic. He suffered. And so now I just miss him and, uh, you know, my mentor who's replaced Bob is my dear friend and mentor, uh, you know, Jeff Hocking. Jeff has become my, my lifeline yeah. and a wonderful friend and a man that has got so much wisdom. Mm. Quiet and uh, powerful. Yeah, but he's somebody that I needed, like my wife, to bring balance. Yes. And it is exciting being a Christian, but friends are needed in the tough times. Yes. You need Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Saviour and the power of the Holy Spirit when things have gone wrong, mm. where people that you've loved and served openly criticise you. Mm. And this happens. Yeah, and, and unfortunately over the years I've had to, in my role as a police officer, arrest Christians and ministers, Christian ministers and other people. Yeah. And it was a very heavy burden, a very heavy burden because I couldn't share it with people. Mm. And uh, there have been times whereby people didn't want to come near me because they knew that the Lord was on me. Yes. And rightly or wrongly, I intimidated them. Mm. So I had to just learn to be gracious yeah. and said to them, look, you can shoot the message, but not, not the message. Yes. But what grieves me the most now is as I'm going around... Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, evangelical churches. There might be a lot of noise and a lot of good music and set up, yeah. but there's no power. Mm. I do not see the power of the Holy Ghost present. Mm. We've learnt to um, have the Viking haircuts, have the loudest music, yeah. or go to the other extreme where even though we might be baptised in the Holy Spirit, the denomination we're in is not allowed to do it. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lord's told me we're on the crest of a new wave of the Holy Spirit in Western Australia. Yeah. And he wants us to equip the saints. Yes. The fivefold ministry. Mm. All we ever hear about is pastors. It's mentioned what? Once. Yeah. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Yeah. We need to raise up young men and women. And, yes. And say to people, what is your calling in God? Mm. And so I am impatient, as you know. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I criticise when I shouldn't be. 
But what I'm trying to say to all Christians is, doesn't matter how old or young you are, yeah. God wants you in his army. Mm. And there are three things that I say to you you need to know. You need to know who you are in Christ. Yes. What your authority in Christ is. Yes. And what he's called you to do. Mm. And until we know those basic things. Yeah. And then learn things about how to pray for the sick, to pray for agreement. Yeah. All those things. I have to teach people who have been in the, the Lord for many years and in Pentecost who don't know how to anoint people with oil. Mm. They don't know how to pray for the sick. Yeah. They, and they, they don't... Been, in other words, they haven't been discipled. Well, they haven't, but they don't even know what their calling in Christ is. Yeah. And I suppose because of the legal background I've come from, I had very rigid views on what we can and can't do as Christians. Yes. The one thing about the Holy Spirit and, and one thing about our Heavenly Father is he never let me win an argument. Mm. It didn't matter how much theology I threw. Yeah. I, I learnt to say, sorry, God, quickly, and yeah. make a mention. You've shot the counts with him. 1 John 1 9 is my favourite passage. Yeah. Because I'm saved in my humanity, mm. not from it. Uh, people can look at me and say, wow, how could God use somebody like that? Yes. It's got nothing to do with this vessel. Mm. It's not my ability, but our availability in Christ. And what I say to people, it's not about great people doing great things for God. Yeah. It's about a great God using ordinary people to do great things for him. Wonderful. So that's where I am at the moment. And um, I'm very positive. But prophetically, I know that the Holy Spirit is already in our lives and other yeah. people's lives moving very quickly and very powerfully. And I just want to sort of encourage people mm. to say, hey, God wants to use you yeah. in spite of what you think of yourself. Mm. Yeah, so. What's the legacy you'd like to leave behind for the generations that follow? One of the hardest questions I knew that I was going to be asked. I would like to be somebody that they knew me that I was a disciple of Christ. Mm. But above all that, that I had done my best to equip others to get on and be raised up into ministry. Yeah. I prayed many years ago, Lord, I want to be able to equip people and see signs and wonders occur where I may have been instrumental, but then later on, the people wouldn't recognize me, but they'd yeah. focus on God. Yeah. And, and God's answered that prayer because yeah. the great thing is all glory all honour and all praise has to go to, to God. That's right. So, yeah, um, I, you know, we can be remembered as, as a good person, but I just think that if we can be remembered as people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and they love mankind, yes, and they, they led humble, fruitful lives, that would be my le legacy. That is beautiful. Malcolm, thank you so much for sharing your story here at Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Well, friends, thank you so much for being part of this amazing journey to, uh, today of hearing Malcolm Innes' story, a Western Australian, True Blue, who has uh, journeyed with the Lord, and you've heard amazing, amazing patches of his wonderful story.
If you love this content, uh, wherever you're consuming it, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on podcasts, please do share it. Please do write a comment, subscribe to the channel. Come and see us again. Come and listen to us again. Uh, if you are on Apple Podcasts, we always love five stars. So keep them coming. Thank you to those who already have done that for us. It means a great deal to us. Here at Kingdom Stories, we hear testimonies from mighty men and women from Australia, from down under. And every week we bring new content for you to help you uh, in your walk. And I hope that these stories will inspire you to come up higher in your daily walk with God. I am Nathaniel Costilla and I wish you the best wishes and uh, hopefully we'll see you back soon here at Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.